We are finishing uh, Colossians today, believe it or not. Um, we've been in Colossians for a little while. We've actually, I think, been going through it kind of fast, uh, not really looking at every pass, every single word and verse, but we've been looking at a lot of it, going verse by verse. And today we're going to do pretty much the entire fourth chapter. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the goodbye, the conclusion to the letter. Uh, but a couple of just recap things before we dive into that to remember. Uh, and for those of you that haven't been a part of that whole series, uh, in the beginning, Paul is really dealing with a couple of issues. Two in particular, syncretism and separatism. Uh, really, it's these two ideas where one, syncretism is this big fancy word that basically means that it's kind of this anything goes, all involved. Uh, you mix mysticism and Gnosticism and Jewish mysticism and Old Testament Jewish law into Christianity, and, and it, it starts to become a little bit confusing and even somewhat restrictive as you start to apply all these things to Christianity. And we talked about how maybe we don't deal as much with that specifically exactly like Paul was addressing here, with those specific issues, but we do deal a lot with people wanting to add a lot of other ideas to Christianity. And, and, we talk, and so the way Paul addresses that is instead of really going on the negative much, he really mostly focuses on the preeminence and the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, and I've said it so many times, my favorite word that he uses in here is he says that the mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ. And the reason I love that is if you look into the historical context of this, that word mystery is a word that the Gnostics and the mystics would use. And they would use that to mean some sort of way that you unlock God's favor, some sort of way that you unlock eternal life from God, that you had to do things a specific way, and when you did them this specific way and you fell in line with all the rules, then God would then love you and God would then give you eternal life. And what Paul says is, no, it's nothing that you can do and it's not your behavior. The mystery of God is Jesus Christ. He is the way that we unlock the favor of God. He is the way that we unlock eternal life. And so Paul really addresses that hard to the Colossian church in the first two chapters. And then in chapter 3, he, which we spent a couple of weeks on, he really kind of goes into how that looks practically. And one of the things we wanted to make sure we understood when we studied chapter 3 is don't get confused. Anytime Paul talks about practicality, anytime Paul really starts to hit how we're supposed to live, the actions we're supposed to take, if you notice, that's always after studying who is Jesus, who is God, who are we in the light of that. It is never before. And I think so often we want people to act, look, and behave a certain way, and then they can come to church, and then they can be Christians. And Paul's saying, no, this is who Christ is, this is who we are in light of who Christ is, and because of that, it's going to make you a new person. You're going to become a new person as a part of that process, but it's not the other way around. It's not our behavior, again, it's not our behavior that unlocks the mystery it's Christ that unlocks the mystery. And then as we get into chapter 4 here, we're going to look at four things. Four things we're going to look at is the importance of prayer, the importance of going outside, the importance of, uh, the, importance of yeah, the importance of prayer, the importance of going outside, and the importance of fellowship, and the importance of service. Uh, if you will, turn to Colossians chapter 4. 
and stand with me in the honor of the reading of Word of God. We stand in the honor of Word of God because we're convinced here at the Hyde Park campus and at Hibernia as a whole that the, the living Word is inspired by God, uh, and this is where we get all wisdom. We're starting in verse 2. If you remember from verse 3 when we looked at it, it uh, verse 1 really goes with chapter 3. Starting in verse 2, reading all the way through chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to my brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Or it could be his house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, as we dive into your word and conclude the letter to the Colossian church this morning, I pray that we, we hear clearly from you, Lord, that uh, you speak louder than me, Lord, that it be your wisdom that is imparted here and not my own. Lord, let us focus our, our minds and our hearts on you at this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so there's several things here in chapter 4. A lot of times when we get to the end of a letter like this, we, we somewhat ignore a lot of the things. Uh, but there are really some pretty fascinating stuff in this chapter. And uh, I'm actually very excited about this sermon. Uh, importance of prayer is going to be the first thing. If you see in the first 2 to 4, verses 2 to 4 there, uh, he's talking about how we talk to God about uh, him and how we talk to others about God through six. Uh, but really, prayer becomes a focus here. And one thing I've said since day one here is, those that have been here, what is it? Prayer always precedes revival. Prayer always precedes revival. You never, ever, ever see a great act of God outside of God using us in prayer 
as a part of that. It's not that he couldn't do that, but that God chooses in his graciousness to let us be a part of what he's doing. And so it's on us as the people of God to be focused on the importance of prayer. And so Paul talks here about praying. And in verse 2, you see it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, there's a lot of ways to translate that where it says continue steadfastly. You probably have, if you're reading a different translation, it probably says something different. And even on being watchful, it may say be vigilant. It may say all sorts of other things. Uh, Really, the thing that's being focused here is a couple of things. One is pray with persistence. This continue steadfastly is this persistent process. If you read in Isaiah, there's a great story. We're not going to go there. There's a great story about watchmen on the wall and how they're not supposed to give the Lord rest. And then there's the great story that Jesus tells of the persistent widow, right? Uh, Where this persistent widow goes before the judge petitioning, 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 and on and on and on. And finally, eventually, the judge gives in. And God says, if the judge will do that, how much more do you think I will? So is God saying that we're supposed to bug him to death? Kind of in a way he is, yeah. Kind of in a way. It's, it's, anybody got little kids or remember having little kids? Like, you know how it is. It's, it's amazing. My wife is a stay-at-home mom, uh, which is probably the hardest job on earth. Anytime she leaves me with the kids, I go, I would take the stress gladly of my job of relaunching a church over your job any day. Any day. I see other, other men saying, amen. Yes, praise the Lord. Uh, and, and so, but it's amazing something happens to young mothers, right? You've probably seen this. Something happens. It's like a switch flips and they no longer can hear their name unless it's screamed. Because like, I'll come home and the kids are like, hey, mom, 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 mom. And she's just talking and she's like, just, it's like she doesn't even hear it. And I used to think like, man, that's so rude of you. Why would you do that? You need to pay attention to your children. And I would say, babe, the kids are talking to you. And then she left me with them for an extended period of time while she did something else. And I go, you have to, right? You just have to shut it off. Like at some point, you have to shut your ears off and not hear it anymore. Well, the beautiful thing is God doesn't do that. God's saying, be persistent. And here's why I think it is. I think he wants us to be persistent in our prayer, not for him, but for us. Because I think sometimes we ask for a lot of things from God, don't we? I think we ask for a lot of things, but when something's really important to us, we just keep it on our hearts, and we keep it before Him, and we keep it before Him, and we keep it before Him. When I was studying for this passage uh, at Starbucks, I was studying this whole chapter, and, and we're going to get to in a second where it talks about praying for an open door for the gospel. I was sitting in a chair at Starbucks studying, and a, a guy sits down right next to me. And I thought, oh, man, this could be a good opportunity to share the gospel with this guy. I'm studying about praying for an open door for the gospel. So I started while I was studying, praying for an open door to the gospel. And uh, as soon as I prayed for an open door to the gospel, he put his headphones in. And I thought, well, door shut. <laughs> and, then I, and then I remembered that previously I'd studied on praying with persistence. I said, okay, I'm going to pray with persistence. And so as I was studying, every time uh, I would get distracted, which is often, uh, I'm extremely ADD, and so every time I'd get distracted, I would just go back and I would pray for a second, Lord, just give me an opportunity to share your love and grace with this man sitting next to me. And then I would go back to study, and I would pray it, and I would pray it, and about 10 minutes passed by. And, uh, and I, keep, I probably prayed it 20 times, uh, which shows you how often I get distracted. And, uh, and he all of a sudden, he takes his headphones out, and he just starts starts a conversation with me. 
And I started asking about him. I'm talking with him about him, learning about his job, what he's studying, what he's doing. And then all of a sudden he goes, what are you studying? I was like, well, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Open door. I'm studying the gospel. And I said, no, man. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm writing a sermon. He goes, you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I know. I get that a lot when I tell people that. Uh, and he said, uh, he goes, I've always wanted to ask a pastor a question. I said, well, here I am. Ask whatever you want. And he goes, man, of all the religions in the world, how did you decide on one? I was like, wow, the door doesn't get much more open than that. And I got to share the gospel with this young man. I didn't get to see him saved that day, but the Bible does tell us that we plant seeds and others water them. And so I pray that uh, that continues to get watered and that I run into him again and uh, gave him my contact info. But I said, say, look, there's something that happens when we continually set the things of God on our heart and we commune with God about that. When we continually do that, there's something powerful when we continue steadfastly. Continue steadfastly. Pray with purpose. Uh, This is be vigilant. Be watchful. Look, don't just pray just to pray. Think about what you're praying about. Think about the fact that you're talking to the God of the universe. I went to uh, a little private Baptist college in Mississippi for my undergrad, uh, named after the father of modern missions, William Carey. And there's a great William Carey quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. I think I may have reversed the order on that. Uh, But either way, it's the same. But it's this idea of like, look, let's not just expect and attempt small things. The God of the universe, the God of the universe has said, you are plan A. You're how I'm going to grow my kingdom. You're how I'm going to reconcile the world unto myself. You are the plan. You are the troops. You are the process. It's you, the children of God. And we have him at our access. He says, all things that are mine are yours. All authority of heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. And we have him at our disposal. And he says, man, just ask me. Bring me into the fold. And so sometimes I ask for crazy things. And you should too. Ask for crazy big things for God to do. Do you have a family member that you go, man, there's no way they'd ever get saved? I was probably that family member to some people until I got saved. Pray big, big things. You can't pray too big. You can't pray too big for God. Pray with purpose, but be watchful, be, be vigilant. Uh, I, I could have just ignored the fact that a guy sat down next to me at Starbucks. I often normally do. Uh, to my own fault, to be honest. I'm so wrapped up in what I'm doing, I'm not watchful, I'm not being vigilant, I'm not paying attention. But realize that God gives you the opportunities He gives you for His kingdom. It's the whole reason we're alive. We're not alive for anything else. Listen, we're not alive to be good fathers, we're not alive to be good husbands, we're not alive to be good mothers and and good spouses and good children and good workers. And and That's not our purpose. Our purpose is... The kingdom of God and all things are for that purpose. So in all things, we need to be watchful. We need to be vigilant for the opportunities that God gives us. And, and so, but in order to do that, you have to plan to pray. If we're being honest in here, uh, which can be a struggle in church, uh, do we plan to pray? And I would say most of us probably say no. Uh, prayer is one of the hardest things to be disciplined at. You know what that is? Because it goes against everything in our human sinful nature. 
It goes against everything in the world because we're taught to be self-sufficient. We're taught to be independent. And prayer is absolutely the opposite. Prayer is laying yourself down and saying, God, I need you. I, I, can't, I can't do this without you. Now, we're willing to say that. and We're willing to do that when all of a sudden just the world falls apart on us, aren't we? When we get that hard phone call, when something really bad happens, whenever we've tried, we've extended all of our resources, all of our efforts, we've done everything we know to do, it's like, all right, now all I've got left to do is to pray. Plan to pray. Make it a part, an intense, schedule it like a meeting in your day with the God of the universe. Schedule it. Plan it. Nobody plans to fail but many fail to plan. Pray with a thankful heart, the Apostle Paul tells us, to be in thanksgiving. Um, No matter how hard your life is, no matter what's going on, that honestly, and this is not the power of positive thinking, this this is the power of understanding reality. That God is good. In the midst of the good times, in the midst of the bad times, God is good. Don't forget where Paul is when he's writing this. He's in prison when he's writing this. And he's telling them to pray with thanksgiving. He tells them to remember his chains. He lets them know that he's in prison. But you don't really hear him whine and complain about it in his letters, do you? Pray with thanksgiving no matter what's going on in your heart with a thankful heart. Pray for your pastor and for others serving in ministry. In verse 3, he says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Again, that phrase, the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. Verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray for your pastor. Pray for others serving in ministry. Pray for missionaries. Pray for all those that are serving. Pray for lay people that are serving. Because when we start to put our lives in priority, and we start to put God first, and we start to serve Him, we put a target on our back, don't we? Do you know divorce rates are slightly higher amongst pastors than they are their congregations? I've only been in ministry for 10 years. And I personally know more than 10 pastors who have had to leave the ministry because they failed morally. When I was interviewing with Hibernia for this job, they asked me, what is your greatest fear in ministry? And I said, moral failure. Because to me, it's always at the door. It's always at the door. It scares me. And that's a healthy way to view it. And you may go, Pastor, that's a little too transparent for me. I need to see you on a higher level than that. I need to know that you're above that. I need you to know that I'm not above that. I'm not in the midst of moral failure right now, so this is not a confession. (laughs) But I don't want to be. And I would rather maybe you think a little less of me and maybe you question me a little bit by me saying that. I would rather that than you put me on some high pedestal and me set myself up there and eventually fall. Because if I keep myself down here, it's hard to fall, isn't it? We've all got to be like that. We've all got to be like that. Pray for your pastor. Pray for those serving in ministry. It breaks my heart every time I hear one of those stories. 
Because it not only hurts the pastor and his family, it hurts their congregation and it hurts the cause of the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Again, you see a lot of those same things. You see praying for all the saints. Keep alert, keep vigilant. Uh, perseverance, persistence. Proverbs fifteen eight. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is, is acceptable to Him. I love this. I love this verse, Proverbs 15, 8, because here's what it's saying. is The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. This is talking about a religious sacrifice. So it's saying if you're not honest with yourself and you're living in habitual sin, but then you come here and pretend like you're not, and you come here and, and make your sacrifice, pay your tithe, make your, your praise sacrifice and your worship sacrifice, and you, you pretend like everything's okay, God's not interested in that. He doesn't appreciate that effort. He would much rather you be honest about who you are and pursue righteousness in your life instead of trying to save face. The prayer of a righteous is up. The prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Let's go to verse 5, 5 and 6. Call this the importance of going outside. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Number one point, you've got to go outside. When I was growing up, uh, my parents would throw me outside after breakfast and tell me not to come home till lunch, and then they'd tell me not to come home again until dinner. Anybody else ever have to, ever do that? I said, man, we built forts. We did all kinds of crazy stuff outside. Probably almost burnt the, the forest down a couple of times. Uh, now, my wife, on the other hand, her, her mom would never let her go outside for a good season of her life when she was a kid. So we were talking one day about you know, your memories as children. And she, she literally has in her journal, her mom, if she hears this, is going to beat me for this. Uh, in, her, in my wife's journal when she was a kid, uh, what was it, Memorial Day weekend? Spring break. She wrote, it's spring break. Maybe mom will let me go outside today. <laughs> True story. I love my mother-in-law. She's amazing. I call her my mother-in-love. But, uh, but uh, that story, just, I think about that when I see this. Because here's the one of the things I, we've got to see in this. Is it says, it's, what does it say? It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Does it say walk away from outsiders? Does it say avoid outsiders? Does it say, man, we're supposed to be us four no more and have this holy huddle and, and this is where we do life? Listen, I ran this phrase, a question, a challenge I'm going to give you, and it's a, maybe a little controversial, but I asked Pastor Scott Yerka, my boss, if I could say this, and he said yes. If you've never been offered a beer, you're doing it wrong. If, you've ne- if you don't have any friends that are lost, you're doing it wrong. We were not intended to have the light of the world and keep it under a bushel. No. We're to walk toward outsiders. Now, with wisdom, with wisdom, we walk toward outsiders. You, you have to have what I call the oxygen mask principle. When you go on a plane... What do they tell you about the oxygen mask, right? They tell you if, in case of emergency, the oxygen mask will drop. 
Uh, maybe you didn't pay attention during that. Uh, most people don't. The oxygen mask will drop. And then what does it say? Does it say that you're supposed to take care of the people around you? Or what do they tell you? Put it on yourself first. Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to put the oxygen mask on? you got an elderly lady on this side, and you got a little kid on this side, but they're telling you to put it on first. Why? Because if you pass out, you're not any good to anybody, are you? So we have to walk in wisdom. So here's what that means. If in your past life, pre-Christ, alcohol was a problem for you, you probably need to walk in situations where you're not offered a beer. If other issues are a struggle for you, you need to be careful. They don't need to be the only friends you hang out with. We're going to talk about some other friends you need to have here in a minute. But you need to have your life set up in such a way where you are exposed to lost people. Listen, this is one of the reasons I study at Starbucks. One of the hardest things for pastors is to meet lost people. Do you, do you believe that? Because, you know why? Because we're here all the time. And we're working with you and we're doing things with you and we love you and we want to take care of you. And so, so often we go, man, I haven't talked to a lost person or shared the gospel in weeks. It's one of the reasons I go to Starbucks. It's one of the reasons I have a couple of restaurants that I try to frequent. Because I want to get to know the serving staff and the host staff there. And I want to, I want to get, get to be in their lives. I want to find ways. I always try to find ways to interact with lost people. But listen, just pastors shouldn't do that. You should do that. You should walk toward outsiders, but do it in wisdom. Be intentional about it. And then I love this. As I was studying, and it's where it says, and let your speech be seasoned with salt, it basically means this. Don't bore people. Don't be boring. It actually means to be witty. That's what this means. In the pagan culture, they would use this thing and they would say that his talk was seasoned with salt, meaning that he was witty. And so Paul is telling you here to be witty. He's telling you here to not be boring, to not be so dull in your speech that nobody wants to hear what you have to say. And so get out there. Walk toward outsiders, be intentional about your relationships with them, and then don't bore them to death. If those of you that remember The Simpsons, which never dies, I wasn't allowed to watch it as a kid, wouldn't allow my children to watch it, so I'm not recommending it. But for those of you that did watch it, don't be Ned Flanders on that show. Don't be boring. Let's move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. For what I have to do, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Are you known more for what you're for or what you're against? Are you known that you're for the gospel, that you're for the love of God, that you're for grace and mercy, or that you're against alcohol and you're against homosexuality and you're against all these other things? Listen, we should take a stand, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it should not be what we're known for. When people know about us, they shouldn't go, those are the people that are pro-life and that they're this. Listen, I'm very, look, I'm very pro-life. I'm very much against all these things. But when somebody encounters me, what I want them to know is that I am a sinner saved by grace. And that they have that same opportunity to be saved by grace. We'll get into the other stuff later. The most important thing anyone can ever know about you is that you're a sinner saved by grace. We are not to judge outsiders. We are to have accountability and judge insiders. Not judge in a, I'm better than you, but judge in a, let me help you walk life kind of way. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. Look carefully then how you walk, again with walking, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because of the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm telling you to get offered a beer, I'm not telling you to drink it. That was a joke, but... Last, one, of the, one of the last things here we see is the importance of fellowship. I, I, love, I love the list of guys that Paul lists here. I, I would love to do a sermon on each of these guys. These are some pretty incredible guys that Paul lists here. I think a lot of times in the Bible when we see these lists of names, we kind of go, all right, well, I'm just going to, all right, Colossians is over. Let's, let's move on. I don't know who these people are. Real quick, here's some things you need to understand about them. Uh, I'm just going to go down real fast on some things. Uh, choose wisely some people to let completely into your world. You see that Paul sends Tychicus to tell them about everything that's going on with them. But not only that, to encourage them. Surround yourself with people who encourage and comfort you. He, he, he gives a list. and then Now, this is going to be different. This is, uh, if you're reading out of the King James, there is one part that gets confusing here. <coughs> when he says um, that these only... In verse 11, it says in Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. What he's saying there is that list that he just listed are the only Jewish men with him. Uh, in the King James, it, it's worded a little different where it can get confusing. It almost sounds like those are the only ones serving him, and then the other guys weren't serving with him. Uh, but they're all serving with him, but he's saying this is the list of Jewish guys. And the, this I put, diversify your relational investments. If everybody you hang out with looks like you, talks like you, and thinks like you, you're not going to grow. You need to be around people that think different than you. You need to be around people that look different than you, talk different than you. You have to diversify your relational investments. Paul doesn't just surround himself with Jewish people who have come to follow the Lord. He surrounds himself with all kinds of people. If we had time, we'd look at each of these relationships. One thing I love about Tychicus is this. We don't ever know a single word that he said. But if you'll follow through Scripture, you'll see some pretty fascinating things about this guy named Tychicus. He's only listed like four times in Scripture. But if you really look into it, you'll see in Acts 20, he's, we're not going to go there, but you see in Acts 20, he's with Paul as Paul's heading to Israel. And as he's heading to Israel, everywhere they go, everybody says, if you go to Israel, you're going to die. And you know what happens? Tychicus and these other guys stay with Paul. They don't leave. That's ride or die. These are hardcore boys of Jesus that hang with him, do life with him, are willing to go to prison for him. Where it says, Aristarchus, fellow prisoner of mine, the way it's worded in Greek, it's not that he got arrested, but that he chose to be in jail with Paul to be there for support. Well, that's a friend, isn't it? Aristarchus said, if you're going to get arrested, I'm getting arrested with you, and I'm going to go with you. And apparently they didn't arrest him, and he said, I'm just going to go with you anyway. These are some serious friends. So yes, you need to walk towards outsiders. And you need to have wisdom in that and have the oxygen mask principle. But you also, I mean, you need to have some people around you that know everything about you. You need to have some people that know the nitty gritty about you. You need to have some people that know the bad things, the bad sides of you and still love you anyway. 
You need to have people that, that you know you can trust with anything. Tychicus is one of those guys, because the other thing you see with Tychicus is a couple times Paul wants Titus to come to him and comfort him, and then one time he wants Timothy to come to him and comfort him. And who does, now with Titus, we're not sure who he sent. He either sent Tychicus or Aristarchus. Uh, but with Timothy, we know that he sent Tychicus basically to take over the Ephesian church. So Tychicus was an interim pastor. Tychicus went and, and he did whatever he was told. Tychicus is the guy carrying this letter. He's carrying this letter to the church of Colossae. And you go, no big deal, he's carrying a letter. You need to, if you were to look into the journey that Tychicus has to make from Paul all the way to the church of Colossae, we're talking walking through Italy, sailing overseas, walking through mountains. It's a treacherous Lord of the Rings, Hobbit kind of journey that he's making here. And he's got the letter to Colossians, he's got the letter to Ephesians, and he's got the letter to Philemon all with him. And he takes all these with him. Now, when you would take a letter, you would read it before the whole congregation and you would help them understand. So he goes as an itinerant speaker. So he's an, he's an interim preacher, an itinerant speaker. He's a messenger. He's just a good, solid servant. And so you see that with a lot of these guys. You see Luke, the physician. The funny thing is on Paul's first missionary journey, we see that he's sick all the time. On the second one, he brings Luke, the physician, with him. And he calls him his beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Uh, the sad thing about Demas is if you read Second Timothy, it says that Demas uh, leaves because he's in love with the world. Again, emphasizing the oxygen mask principle. Walk with wisdom. Walk towards outsiders, but walk with wisdom. Or if you're not careful, you'll fall in love with the world and walk away like Demas did. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you have friends that stir you? Do you have people that when you talk to them, man, they make you, they make you just want to fall more in love with Jesus? They make you want to work harder for the Lord? You need those kind of friends. And you need to hang out with those people and your lost friends at the same time. The importance of service, 12 through 18. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling. That word there means, it's, it's, the Greek word is agony, for, for agonize. Always agonizing on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and the Nympha and the church in her house. This translation says her. We're not really sure whether it's a female or male. We just know that Nympha's house is where one of the churches meets. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. Uh, we're not really sure what the letter from Laodicea is. There's a lot of speculation. A lot of people think it's the, the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, it could be. Uh, it's, it's fine if it is. Uh, the, the main point here isn't what letter it is. It's that uh, they wouldn't hold a letter to themselves. These are what is called circular letters. So the Colossian church would get their letter. The Ephesian church would get their letter. And they would share it with other churches so they could all learn from each other. And they would, they would write a copy of, of each. Um, 
and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. When I originally wrote this, I wrote, Be willing to be inconvenienced. Uh, But I changed it. Be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. We can say we're willing all the time. Uh, We're blessed to live in a country where our inconveniences are mostly just social awkwardness, right? We're not going to get thrown in jail. We're not going to get beaten. We're not going to get hauled off. But it's awkward. It's weird to start a gospel conversation with somebody. It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. I don't have time. Uh, we got to hurry. Be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, remember my chains. Grace be with you. And about Epaphras, the pastor and the planter of the church of Colossians, he says that he agonizes. He struggles in prayer over you that you may be fully mature. Empower and equip others for the sake of ministry. Don't keep it to yourself. Not only the gospel, but the opportunity to share the gospel. I don't know which of these that you are. I wish we could go through the list of everybody in here. Uh, I, I will say that I love, I love the story of Onesimus, the runaway slave from, Col- from Colossae. Um, he was a slave of Philemon. And, uh, and so if you read the book of Philemon, you see that. And, and uh, Philemon was led to the Lord by Paul. And, uh, and so Onesimus runs away, ends up in Rome. And who does he run into? He runs into Paul. And, and Paul leads him to the Lord. And, and so you have to understand, a runaway slave, what did you earn? You earned death. You, you were going to get killed. If you show up back home you're, or found, you're going to get killed. And so Paul writes this letter, uh, the letter of Philemon. And he writes it to Philemon. And so it's one of the letters that Tychicus is carrying as Onesimus goes back with him, takes him back to his original owner. And, and, and basically Paul says, hey, this is a brother in Christ now. Receive him with love. As a brother in Christ, he wants to come back home. Now, here's what I love. It's not in the Bible, but it's in some other history. Uh, a guy named Ignatius wrote some stuff uh, about the church of Colossae uh, years after this. And uh, we're not positive it's the same one, uh, but I love to think that it is. He says, I have received your entire congregation of the Colossians when I met your pastor, Onesimus. Isn't that neat? Onesimus, the runaway slave, should have been killed by the grace of the gospel, is accepted back by his owner, and then eventually becomes his pastor. I go, okay, so it's okay that I'm a pastor. God is good, isn't he? Listen, as we end the book of Colossians, the things you need to know is this. Jesus is the mystery. He's enough. You don't need to add anything else to him. You don't have to make him look cool. You don't have to dress him up. You don't have to add anything to make him attractive to people. He is attractive when he wants to be attractive. When he awakens the heart and the souls of men and women, he is more than attractive to them. The gospel is beautiful and offensive all at the same time. And we've got to be inconvenienced, not willing to be, but we've got to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. Walk towards outsiders with wisdom. Don't be boring. Share the gospel in a beautiful way with them. And always, always point to Jesus in all that we do. Let's pray and we're going to have an opportunity to respond.
God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the book of Colossians, for this letter that Paul writes. I thank you for Epaphras and his willingness to uh, chase after and, and, and do everything he can to grow his church into maturity. Not to grow it into numbers, but to grow it into maturity. Lord, that is, that is my prayer for this church, that we continue to grow into maturity. Lord, as we respond, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Lord, if it's that we need to be more intentional about walking towards outsiders and sharing the gospel and being inconvenienced, Lord, I pray you convict us of that. You you lay it on our hearts. And Lord, I pray you give us just ripe, wonderful opportunities and open doors like you did for me this week, Uh, for all of us, that we may share the gospel. Lord, let let some of us see that fruit. Let some of us get to see uh, your work and, and get to see the dead come to life. Lord, if there are those in here that uh, don't know you yet, that aren't your children yet, Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, as they heard the message this morning, they heard that it's not about acting good or it's not about looking right, but it's about loving you and and receiving your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that you put it upon their hearts to come talk to me this morning, uh, whether it be in the invitation or after the service. Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.